0: This episode of Seize the is brought to you by Snoozer Pet Products.
1: I wanted to be a farmer. I did not think that this would be the path I'd go on. Well who actually does sheep husbandry for their HSC? Me. Suddenly I lost my sense of purpose. I really did. Once you have a child, it's a new purpose and your priorities change, but my identity with work had kind of gone. Never judge another till you've walked a mile in their shoes.
0: Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Third episode for this fortnight kids. has been a busy week for the neighborhood today. I'm joined by a face. Many of you will know and love as I have since childhood, Dr. Katrina Warren, a beloved Aussie vet, along with her golden retriever, Riley, who had a great stare off with Paul during the chat. You probably know Dr. Katrina from Totally Wild or Harry's Practice or even Animal Planet or Dancing with the Stars, and I'm sure she's responsible for so many people's love for animals. As the only person I know of who did sheep husbandry for their HSC, Dr. Katrina is a qualified vet but didn't take the conventional private practice pathway after university, going into the media instead. With a fashion modelling career in Japan in the mix, photos of which she has graciously shared. With me for us to enjoy in the Facebook group. She's definitely not the first guest who ended up seizing a yay they wouldn't have imagined in a million years. But she's possibly the first guest who's openly discussed the come down and disorientation of that yay abruptly ending, pushing her to recraft her identity and start her new chapter, which she's now in the swing of and enjoying thoroughly with Wonder Dogs as a snoozer ambassador and so much more. Paul also interrupts us a few times to chat with Riley about his opinion on the beautiful snoozer beds they both have now, the woes of working from home. (laughs) I hope you enjoy. Dr Katrina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I actually just got a text from my husband just before we started saying, I used to have the biggest crush on her. We've both been watching you for years.
1: Oh, oh that's too kind. I meet so many people, Sarah, they're like, I grew up watching you on the TV and now I have children of my own and it makes me feel, makes me feel old, but it makes me feel quite special. I, I feel like I have had an impact on people's lives back in the day.
0: It's quite interesting. I think you absolutely have. you yeah, such a big part of a lot of our a lot of our childhoods and a reason behind a lot of our love for animals. And it's so funny I, for all the podcast listeners. You obviously can't see the video, but uh, we both have our Goldies just in our rooms watching yes. on Zoom as well.
1: Um, are they us just the best company. Pets through this whole COVID home isolation period, I think that pets have really stepped up, and I think the research and the studies are going to show that pet owners felt less lonely and possibly a bit less overwhelmed by just having that constant companionship of their pet, you know, that unconditional love, you know, they took on our stress, but they were there for us as a rock. And I think that that's something so special about our pets.
0: Absolutely. I think in, in COVID particularly, but in general life, I feel like I manage my anxiety better because of the dog. You know, you there's just someone who loves you and who's always so happy to see you. And it just, as soon as you walk in, it doesn't matter what your mood is. They're so excited. It just all kind of washes off. <laughs> I
1: know. And, and it doesn't matter if you've been out for five minutes or five hours, they're still just as excited to see you. And I think we don't have complicated relationships with our pets. That's one of the big differences with human Relationships, you know, we we love and we say we love unconditionally, but humans often really piss us off. And (laughs) these guys. You know that well,
0: they can piss us off but very rarely and they just give us so much. They do. <laughs> so before we start the first section which is your way TA so pretty much from very young Katrina all the way to where you are now I usually start with a bit of an icebreaker but the question before that just since COVID has really been how are you because I think as humans you know we can piss each other off a lot but connection has been such a big thing so how are you how have you been in isolation how is everything going?
1: It's been such an interesting journey I I think for everyone I, I don't think there's anybody that you speak to that wasn't affected and impacted and had emotional things to deal with I'm fine now and some of the things about the isolation and the quieter life were actually quite comforting but at the time when it all started happening Sarah it was it was stressful because we did not know what was going to happen and I think also as we all lost you know watched work change and I mean I lost a lot of work in all of my events and I watched a lot of people in the the arts and the television industry I have a makeup artist friend who went down to not a job overnight and I think it was really hard for us to process But once we all calmed down and sat with it, I think we managed it. And the word, how many times have we heard the word pivot? Pivot, (laughs) pivot. Everyone pivoted. I think we all did pirouettes in the end. But I think it just took time and maybe, you know, a lot of us have said maybe the planet needed that little bit of a breather for some of us to stand back and go, what have we done to you, planet? So I've reflected a lot. I think it's been incredibly hard for children. My daughter, particularly, she started high school this year. She didn't know anyone. She knew one girl and she just started making friends and was just about to go out on camp and then that's been cancelled and you know that whole schooling joy of, of the new school it was it was kind of taken away and it's been quite tricky for them going back but being a little bit scared so I could talk for ages so just cut me off anytime <laughs> I can waffle. I know you like people to waffle but I am a waffler.
0: Oh Sorry. no I love it I'm all about it <laughs> but I think that is um, that is a really good reminder that we've all been affected but people have all experienced it really differently and it's easy to explain to an adult to sit with the discomfort and appreciate the silver linings but children they don't have that perspective it's so tough
1: and it's it's been a really tough year because the bushfires which many of us found that very distressing and I've got quite involved in trying to help you know with the wildlife and the animals and it was so upsetting for all of us and we barely got through that and I think the fundraising that was achieved during the fires if that had actually happened during COVID when all the money dried up I don't know what would have happened and I feel for the people who lost their you know their houses and all the wildlife carers and all the people that were just trying to rebuild their lives and then bang that happened Mm. and then we've come out of that to Mm. what's going on in the world and there's really important messages and change but for a child It's quite hard, and there's a lot of anger, and we're trying to see a bigger picture and a good outcome for change. But again, it's really hard for a child. Sort of, what can we look forward to? Well, we can't travel. You know, there's unrest in the world. We're still worried about COVID. So it's been, you know, more complicated watching through the eyes of a child.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think motherhood is probably one of those experiences that is really humbling and brings you back down to the very simple you know, experiences of, of challenge like this. So the icebreaker I usually kick off with is what is the most down to earth thing about you. And I think a lot of us know you from television, so it can seem really glossy on the outside, but what's something really relatable about you?
1: Oh, look, I'm pretty down to earth and it's funny because I listened to a few of your podcasts. I've been doing a lot of driving this week now that work's starting up and I've been listening to lots of the wonderful people you've spoken to and everyone's like, but I am down to earth. I am down to earth. People don't realize that most of us are behind closed doors. We're down to earth. But the, the thing I find people kind of love about me, and it's not so much me being down to earth, it's just the fact that, you know what, my animals misbehave as well. <laughs> I have to pick up. people always like your cat did that because my cat just yesterday let's see that bunch of flowers there that was ticked over and water everywhere so my cat and my animals covered me with hair you know if we have people can't believe it when i say oh my gosh i had to deal with a code brown which is the term <laughs> for when there's a <laughs> when there's an incident out the other end so i think that i'm as down to earth as anyone and so are my animals they're not these picture perfect pets that everyone thinks that I have.
0: (laughs) I love that so much. And I think that's why I love starting with that question because people do forget that everyone's a person. Everyone has codes browns in some form or another where it's children or pets (laughs) or their own experiences.
1: (laughs) And my poor daughter, this is the only thing with pets, with these pets that I have. I have the hairiest pets ever. And I don't know what made me, this is what happens. It's, It's like childbirth, I think. I forgot that when I had my previous cat, it was a Maine Coon and they're big, big cats and they're very hairy. I said, never, ever getting another long haired cat. He passed away. What have I done? I've got another one. And so now big fluffy cat. My poor daughter sits in the car on the way to school because she's not back on public transport yet. And she spends the whole time with the hair roller complaining (laughs) and then she gets out of the car and she's all nice and tidy. And then I see it just stuck to the back of her dress all the pet hair down her back. Oh no. (laughs)
0: It's very funny. Well, let's jump into the first section, which is your way, a how you got here. And I, I love to start right at the very beginning because I think it's really insightful and interesting for people to hear how, you know, finding what makes you joyful and finding your purpose is so non-linear. There's so many different diversions and chapters and a lot of decision-making along the way. So take us back to very young Katrina. You started off in fashion modeling, so very far away from the animal context. Kind of,
1: <laughs> Prior to that, I was a kid. I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in a place called Cheltenham. It's next to Beecroft here in New South Wales. So it's sort of northwest. It was the Burbs. And I was always an animal lover. So I was very lucky that my parents let me have a lot of pets as a kid. Um, and that was great because I think pets are wonderful for children. I really do. There's, they teach so much and they teach you life lessons and about responsibility and life and death. So I was very lucky with that. But What happened, and it's so different now, is I had the opportunity to go to a selective high school called James Roos Agricultural High School. Now, back in those days, all you did was you sat down in year six and just filled in a maths and English test. Nobody even knew what it was okay fast forward to now to go to a selective high school children are being tutored from kindergarten to get into selective high schools you wouldn't get into James Bruce now it's the top school it's it's constantly topping the marks here it's a very different vibe because it's now very academic but back in those days Sarah we were just selected a couple kids from each school and you had the opportunity and my parents basically said you can go to the local high school which is Cheltenham Girls High School up the road and they had a pink uniform or (laughs) you can go to James Bruce (laughs) right I could go to James Roos, which had boys and a farm. And I went, that's where I'm going. And I was so blessed because, again, it was obviously smart kids that had had an opportunity, but none of us really appreciated that then. None of us thought, oh, we're a bunch of smart kids. We just were at this school. And James Roos at the time had been an all-boys agricultural high school, very sporty. And my year seven year was the first year that it was co-ed all the way through they just started taking girls into the school and I loved school. I loved everything about the opportunities my school gave me because they had a farm so I used to leave my house in the morning I was so motivated I'd get into school at 7 30 in the morning and you could just go down and do prac work on the farm with cows and sheep and horses and I used to ride horses before school oh my in the middle gosh. of suburbia at my school that's amazing right? and I was laughing because I was listening to was it Dr. Karen you were talking to about his calf club, his club? calf club, club. <laughs> I was the president of the rural youth club <gasps> and I used to want to be a farmer so I guess I thrived in that environment at school but didn't realise that they were quietly pushing us academically. Mm. I had friends that struggled a bit at school, which kind of happened to me at vet school because they felt they were at the bottom of the pack because there were such, a, a, you know, bright children in there. And I came, it's interesting, you know, out of 120 students at James so I came 60th and I still got into vet school, and that's when you go, wow, you know, we're blessed to have had that opportunity, yeah. and I'm so very, very grateful, and I think it was just a natural progression out of that school. I think six of us went into vet science because we'd had this experience with animals and agriculture, and there's a lot of science at that school, um, so that's where that came out. I wanted to be a farmer. Oh my I wanted gosh. to be a vet, but I wanted to do, I, in a million years, I did not think that this would be the path I'd go up. To. I mean, I loved sheep husbandry. I love all of these things that actually now. You should have done Calf Club. I know. <laughs> well, who actually does sheep husbandry for the HSC? Me. So I had to go into the city with all these farm the kids from farms and do wool classing. Oh, my god! What's wrong gosh. with me?
0: No, I <laughs> love that. I mean, obviously, the love for animals started so early.
1: It was so early. So then I went off to vet school and it was just that was an academic challenge for me. So whilst, you know, I was very lucky I got into vet school by one mark, I must add, I'm very happy to say that. Well, that's um, all you need, right? <laughs> all I needed. And back in the day, you had to run and get the newspaper. You had to actually go and get the newspaper to see what mark you needed to get into the subjects. And I'll never forget how excited I was to get in. So headed off to vet school, which was different then too in that it was just a straight five-year course. You started vet school and we had a couple of people that had done previous degrees. But now with these degrees, you can sort of shift around. But back then, it was you're off to do a five-year degree. And what randomly happened to me, so I was working in Grace Brothers in the shoe department on Thursday (laughs) nights and Saturday mornings to pay my way, (laughs) right, very glamorous, it was so glamorous, and then randomly my hairdresser asked if he could take some photos of me for something and one thing led to another, I ended up with a television type modelling agency who kept putting me forward for these Japanese TV commercials. And back in those days, again, it was so different. The Japanese were really infatuated with anything Western world and they were coming to Australia and spending huge amounts of money on TV commercials. And so I kept getting these random jobs, you know. It was Japanese Nivea commercial and Japanese you know, Coke commercial, all this bizarre stuff. But it was paying me really good money compared to working in Grace Brothers at the time. (laughs) So I had this... Amazing opportunity where they said, do you want to go to Tokyo? They're giving out two-month contracts to go to Tokyo. You'll earn quite a pile of money. And I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take a year off university and get enough money to pay for the rest of my university. Because I was very self-sufficient. I paid my way through the whole course. That decision changed my life. Yeah, because I had been very, very sheltered. I had gone straight from James Roo suburbia into Sydney University, but all very sheltered, living at home. I landed in Tokyo as 20, 19, 20. I had no idea what I was doing and I was thrown into this crazy world of hundreds of models and doing dinky, funny, quirky TV commercials and catalogs with photos and working every day and all these people were partying and going out and nightclubs and all this stuff I'd never seen. Right. So suddenly my eyes were open and I'm still to the day one of my best friends was my, my roommate in Tokyo. She now lives in Barcelona and she's been locked in and we've been been chatting the whole time. But she opened my eyes to the world because I then went from Tokyo to London and stayed with her. And her father was a top journalist called Philip Knight, he was Australian. And her family embraced me and just showed me that there was this just entire world outside anything I'd experienced and that I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately just triggered me into going I want a different life right I want to I want a life that's fun I want a life that's adventure I want to learn more about the world and I went back into university into third year and all my friends had gone up a year and I really struggled in that third year to settle back down yeah so I did it again I did it again took another year off (laughs) And, and that's when the trouble started for me because then I then the struggle was real to go back to sitting down on my bottom to finish university. And it was the same friend's dad who said to me, you finish that degree because once you have that degree, it will show people for the rest of your life that you can commit to something. Absolutely. And he spoke the wisest words and he said, it's going to hurt and you're going to have to study. But please, you will not regret it. And I've taken those words with me, and I came back. So I went traveling that year. We I hooked up with the same friend. I went to Japan, made a pile of money, put half of it away for uni. Went traveling, went London, New York, just hung out there for a while. Came back and then bang into vet school again. So it was quite a um, just that culture shock. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh!
0: (laughs) What what a roller coaster!
1: Because you've gone from all this fun to suddenly really studying. And I had to really study really hard to get through vet science. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that came naturally. There was friends of mine that could just pick up that book the night before and study and cane the exams. I was not that student. So I had to work really hard and that's kind of where it went. So, so I'd had that taste. I was very, very lucky with the Japan thing and that started drying up. It was only a period of time when they were paying all that money for girls like me that weren't really models I was an imposter model (laughs) (laughs) I know people talk a lot about imposters I was an imposter model because I'm I'm only five foot six so as a model here that was never going to work and it wasn't really my thing
0: but I love that. I think that's such such a good lesson about the fact that you don't need to think that you're going to do something forever for it to still be a really amazing opportunity. Like there can be temporary random experiences that you just enjoy for as long as they last and then you're
1: like, cool, that was a great chapter. Look what it showed you. It showed me so much about the world that I, I just didn't know and just different friends and different friends from different countries and cultures and mm. but also same with the vets, you know, and I went back in, I settled much better into the year where I had to do my final two years because at the time, and it's it's different now, but we had to spend our final year out at Camden on the farm. And so back in those days, you had to do large animals and small animals. So we spent a year living out at Camden and that was almost like starting university all over again because everyone went crazy out of college. And <laughs> you, you couldn't have had a bigger contrast from going modelling in Japan and, you know, travelling to on the farm with your arm up 50 pounds a day doing pregnancy testing and (laughs) such a contrast.
0: But that contrast is, I kind of think why, you know, it's those jarring experiences that make you open your eyes and take you off that just autopilot circuit where you just kind of go towards something just because you don't know what else is out there. But I think, you know, looking back at your story, I was sort of like, how did that, you know, so many people would go into five years of vet science and think, of course, I'm just going to go into practice. I was like, why did you, how did you have such a broad idea of what else you could do with it to go this complete different direction? But it's because you
1: did, you did go off the beaten track. I did. And I realized, and it's interesting, and this is one thing that COVID I struggle with. I, I'm not very good at I I didn't know it then but now I realize I don't like feeling trapped
0: Mm. I don't like
1: feeling like I'm, I'm stuck and grounded and and that's that was something that happened when the travel stopped here and and it's happened a little bit to me um as a parent as well where you just don't have the freedom to just jump on a plane and I did a lot of work in LA and I had to pretty much stop that when I had a child and I don't mind that but I don't like feeling trapped I can't do that now. So, when I finished Vet Science, and that was exciting, what happened in those last couple of years was I started thinking, well, maybe this actually isn't the job for me anyway. I don't, I mean, no one can see me except for you, Sarah, but I fidget a lot. I'm not great for surgery. I don't like (laughs) staying still. I'm a fidgeter. I'm playing with my hair. I rub my face. I do, you know. So doing surgery wasn't something I enjoyed. And then when we finished, everyone was scrambling for jobs as vets. Everyone was putting their CVs out. Everyone was running, getting all the jobs that they could. And I just was like, I just want to do a job I really want to do that takes what I've learned with animals. But I don't know that being in a clinic is right for me. And it took me quite a while to figure out what. It wasn't do I want to be in television or what it was. I want to do a job I want to do. And... I started doing house calls for friends that were working at a vet clinic and my first three house calls as a qualified vet were euthanasias and it's still so heart wrenching and I realized I don't have the personality for that either because I'm there crying my eyes out trying to put a needle in the dog in front of a family of people who are grieving and back then at vet school too they taught you nothing about the human relationship and even now there's been a massive shift to we now acknowledge that pets are part of the family back then it was like you know the dogs lived outside a lot more and oh, nothing outside? For the what do you mean outside I dogs oh <laughs> I know Shame. I'm like covering Paul's ears he's like what do you mean I know. Riley's the same he's just put his head up he's gone back to sleep like nuts, on his <laughs> lovely bed so yeah, so euthanasia. People don't think about that with vets, and that's another whole conversation. Is how much of their day is euthanizing animals, which is so distressing for everybody, and it's not something that they want to do. Mm. So I struggled with that. I struggled as well. You know, I put down this big Labrador dog, and I had to get its body into my little car, and I was lugging this thing. I was thinking, oh, I don't know if this is the right the right calling for me, and so then. I sort of stood back for a little while. I was doing occasional house calls and I, I remember the moment, Sarah, and I, I'm still doing TV commercials here a little bit and that was keeping me afloat with money here and there, you know, you get because you get better money than anything else back then. I was in the gym and I was on the treadmill and I remember seeing Totally Wild come up on the screen and it was so funny because there was a presenter called Faye DeLante who I caught up with last week for coffee and I said, I saw you come up on the screen and I thought, I can do that job. I can do that job. It was all about animals, the environment, wildlife. I can even um, remember the theme song. It's like...
0: I used to watch that show so much.
1: I think it was rated the most annoying theme song ever, but <laughs> everyone
0: remembers it. It did its job. You remember it for sure. It
1: did. And, and it was interesting at the time too because I sent my resume... I mean, it sounds like that was an easy process, and that was a light bulb went off. We're talking that was a nearly a year of my life going, "What am I going to do? What can I do? What can I do?" And I sent a resume at the same time to um, there was a show, Remember Wonderworld, Burke's Backyard did a screen test with me. A few people, you know, there was a bit of interest. But what I loved, and I only realised recently, was totally wild. Was run by a lady called Sherry Botcher, and she was actually a pioneer. She was amazing. When you look at it. it, was a woman heading up a whole department in television back in those days because it was all men. It was all men, men, men. Mm. And my resume just happened to land on their desk the day that Tim Bailey it was, was actually moving on to become the weatherman. He's still the weatherman. And it was just a bit of luck. And they put me on to Totally World well, purely as a researcher with the view to maybe I could get on camera. But I, to be honest, I didn't care. I was just happy to be a researcher. But it, it moved quite quickly.
0: That's another, like there are so many stories that come across this podcast where someone has to get the opportunity, someone has to get that role and you just have to be in the right place at the right time. And that yes. that's not luck necessarily. Like you've worked incredibly hard to get there, but you have to be in that position. You have to have worked to get to the point where you're even available to be made a choice. So I think, you know, opportunity has to find you working. And I, I also love the reminder that you had to sit in a year of discomfort of not knowing what direction you were going to take and if you had a job and if you didn't. And a lot of people would have just gone straight into practice to to find what was comfortable and certain. But I love that you were like, actually, I'm willing to sit through this discomfort to wait for the position that's
1: right for me. And that's a really hard thing to do. It was really hard because nobody around me supported the position nobody yeah nobody so my parent my family nobody everyone was saying things like well we all want to do a job we want to do and I was like no no but I want to do a job I want to do right? so, <laughs> you know, and everyone was like you've just done this degree and why aren't you using it and I was like well I'm going to use it. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure it out. But, and back then, see, it's very different now too, Sarah, because there's piles of lovely, beautiful, and qualified female vets on Instagram and social media. And there's, oh, back then there wasn't anything. Mm. And so we had, there was Burke's Backyard. That was a lifestyle show. There was Dr. Harry had done talk to the animals. But there wasn't really, there was a, an opportunity to create a role because television was going down that lifestyle direction which it isn't now it's way more about what are they called all those shows master chef and the voice and all reality. that sort of competition. yeah reality is the word <laughs> thank you yeah <laughs> so yeah so I, i've thought about it many times going you know was it hard work that got me was it luck what it is is definitely a combination there was just that little moment that allowed me to take it and even then within what people don't realize too even within totally wild What was so fantastic then is that we learned from the ground up how television works. So we learned skills that people don't learn now because everyone just puts on their iPhone and away we go. Mm -hmm. But we actually learned about how to tell a story. And basically they said to me, you can do a story on anything you want to do as long as we don't have to pay for it. As in it needs to be either sponsored or you get yourselves, you know, you can travel in the crew car it was amazing. But I think
0: the other thing that's really important to pull out of your story as well is the fact that you probably now looking back, even though it was really uncomfortable at the time, and even though you haven't used the degree in the way that you thought you did, will never regret that you did sit out and finish that because it has sort of served you towards the direction that you went. And I went to a selective entry school here in Melbourne as well. And it's there are certain ways that people assume, like I did a law degree, they're like, well, you have to use it as law. Like, why would you use it any other way? But I think it's wonderful that even years before that mentality had caught up with society, you had that view of, I don't have to use it this way. I'm going to use it the way I want to use it. And look what you've done. Yes,
1: (laughs) you're you're right. And I don't think about it enough. I think these days too, I don't know. I, I think these days too, people are looking for different opportunities. I think, and one thing I definitely wasn't driven by was fame. That's one thing. I was driven by doing a job I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that's very different to what happens a lot now because people see, people equate fame with money and looks and perks. It came to me, the, the public profile came and I was very lucky to have unbelievable opportunities but I wasn't driven by having to be front and and having the accolades of being famous it was more about actually having a really really good job of which I did I mean gosh Sarah I've, but there's another whole conversation in what happens when that ends because I went from totally wild to Harry's practice which was prime time seven years really popular show what happens when these things end? It's like when elite athletes when their career ends. If no one's prepared you for not having the job you love doing anymore, what happens? And it was, you know, it was a really interesting time. And it also happened to me at the same time I had a baby and that social media was taking off and the kind of world changed. You know, in the two or three years when Charlotte was a toddler and I came back out and went, right, I'm ready to work media had changed in such a big way
0: yeah and I think that happens increasingly to everyone in their career because the world is changing so quickly so you take like two months off let alone a whole maternity leave, pregnancy off and everything is completely different so that's actually I mean I know that we think it's such a buzzword pivot but I think you've probably had to do it a couple of times in your career and so talk us through that so you had I think most of Australia knows you from Harry's practice by the way you look exactly the same as you did then amazing (laughs) and then you had like a really illustrious career in the media as an animal spokesperson and really you know just bringing the joy of pets and animals to to our homes and that was such a I can imagine exciting and wonderful period to have found a place to use your degree with your passions for educating and and teaching people about animals how was that period what did it feel like and then a big part of you know this podcast is also how you get used to defining yourself and your self-worth and value based on a particular set of circumstances shifting out of those roles it would have been really hard to find yourself yeah talk us through the the heyday to the transition
1: well the heyday was the heyday was amazing And it was a different era in television as well. So, for example, Harry's Practice was not a sponsored TV show. Channel 7 paid to create Harry's Practice with a a, a fantastic budget. We could travel anywhere around Australia without a product, whereas now television shows are sponsored and everything numbers are really crunched and everything is on very, very tight budgets. And that's globally shifted. So I was very blessed. The other thing which... Was amazing for me. Was I had my border collie Toby, the wonder dog, by my side for half of our shoots. Like we travelled the country with Toby, and people to this day come and go. Oh my gosh, Toby was my favourite dog, and I got thrills. And you might appreciate this having a dog. I got more thrills out of him being famous than myself. (laughs) Like I loved it, and I I was such a stage mother for the dog. So if there was an opportunity for him to be on a magazine cover, I was there. If there's an opportunity to, you know, put Toby in something. I was all over it. I absolutely loved it, and there was nothing he. There was nowhere he couldn't go. We 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 presented awards at award shows. He could sneak into hotels. And <laughs> we there was a period of time when I was living in Melbourne and. I'd come up to Sydney and sometimes I'd have to go straight to a shoot. And I kid you not, Channel 7 had a driver for Toby. We had a guy oh called Robert gosh. who would meet us at the airport and take him to the hotel and check him in. It was ridiculous and it was fun. And it was what what I learned too is I met people all across Australia from all walks of life with one thing in common was that they love their pets Mm. and, you know, I could help them enhance the bond they shared by, you know, I guess I got my interest in behavior and training them because I realized sometimes just a few little tweaks in the way you manage things can actually make a really big difference to your pets' behavior, so I can't complain about that era. I was so lucky. I never took it for granted. I had opportunity. I did some fun shows in the st- LA, as well. Yeah, um, on Animal Planet, right? That was amazing. Yeah, I, again, I was. America is so huge, and their pet population is, you know, gazillion times bigger than ours. And I was always like, you know, you just need to crack one thing over there, and you can actually become successful and set yourself up. It was such a big audience, so I had some great, great fun. In America it was it was interesting because they what we would make here for Harry's practice we just go out on a shoot with a cameraman sound man and producer that same kind of shoot over there you'd have 40 or 50 people
0: yeah
1: so that was great but then as all good things end in 2003 or 4 Harry's practice finished after seven series and I stayed around channel seven kept me on a contract for a year or two doing other bits and pieces but then Everything was shifting and they weren't just keeping presenters on for the sake of doing nothing anymore. So once that finished, I was lost. In the beginning, like, oh, I've got all this extra time. What am I going to do? And then I'd do a few guest spots or radio shows. But suddenly I lost my sense of purpose. I really did. And then I met Charlotte's dad and moved to Melbourne. I was in Melbourne for a while. Then I came back to Sydney and as a mum. And so you have a new purpose. Once you have a child, it's a new purpose and your priorities change. But my identity with work had kind of gone and it has taken me. It's really only been, I think, this last year or two, I feel like I'm coming back. And I've had to, because we all have to, create a social media presence. I do a lot of work with... I'm laughing. I've, no one can see what I can see. I can just see Paul's tail wagging behind you. He's barking <laughs> so loudly. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> I so much at the dog, Paul, shush. Beautiful neighborhood. While the dogs are having a little moment, a quick word from our partner in yay, the wonderful Snoozer Pets. I'm sure you're all well acquainted with our golden retriever, Paul, who is an absolute cuddle bunny, but also a sensitive little soul, who I anticipate will have a bit of stress and anxiety as we start to spend more time out of the house. And I'm telling you, he's not the only one in our household. In researching ways we could help him through this transition to life post-isolation, we discovered Snooze's top-selling anti-anxiety, soothing and calming cuddler with super soft long-pile faux fur and soft raised walls around a deep sleeping area for your pet to relish the feeling of safety and security. Paul absolutely loves it, and so do we, especially for its removable and fluffy machine washable covers and refillable nature, so it's long-lasting. It's available from snoozer.com.au. Now, I just wish they made one for humans. Sorry Um, to interrupt you. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine it would be really hard to have find yourself and your career in a particular way and then yeah. and then have to change how you see your output your productivity your value and your goals
1: everything everything shifted and also in the middle of that too don't forget Toby died my dog and then I realized that part of my identity was actually attached to my dog yeah. that I just you know that I'd spent 14 years doing all of these fun adventures and media week, and suddenly He was gone. I had a toddler. I was on my own. And it was really that feeling of being trapped is quite overwhelming. And I do, I take my hat off to single parents everywhere because it is really, it can be very, very isolating when you are stuck in the house at night after night after night with a toddler who needs to go to bed. Charlotte was one of those kids that really... Would fall apart after seven o'clock at night, so mm. she would be. I'd be stuck in the house talking to myself. So I've <laughs> gone from this amazing life and this social life and all the you know invitations. And the other interesting thing too, Sarah, is when you pull out of the spotlight, everything pulls out. So in order for you to you know when you're in the spotlight, you get all the invitations and you get all those perks and perks which are very privileged. But when you pull back out of the spotlight, that all goes away too, and suddenly you're like, oh actually all those people really only wanted my company because I was in the spotlight and it was, mm. it's quite an interesting experience actually so I guess as the years have gone by with that I've really I've what's the word my passion now is still helping people with the training of their pets and I work a lot with a team of border collies called the wonder dogs yeah. and the work I do with them is now what sparks my joy. So, unfortunately, that was most of the events that I do with them has been taken away with the COVID. But that's slowly coming back. Yeah, it's been the last ten years have been interesting, I have to say. I think that's a really, really
0: good point. That for many different reasons and in in many different expressions, depending on what your career is, a lot of us do face those times where something just suddenly comes to an end, and you have to re find and redefine what your joy is based on these new circumstances because the the whole world changes. But also no one does prepare people in television. My husband Nick was an athlete. There's a lot of sports psychology into the career, but there's none to sort of transition you out. And you kind of just get left high and dry. Like, well, what, you know, you you can't retire at 30. Like, what are you going to do?
1: Do you know when Harry's practice finished, nobody was even told we finished the series episode you know 32 or whatever for the year and then the whole stuff everyone was just like oh well, are we coming back are we not coming back it was just that brutal mm. and then no one ever got the call that we're coming back that's how they did it for all the staff. and you think that's this is people's lives and yeah. I mean, there's countless stories of celebrities that have been in the spotlight and then when they're removed, they don't, you know, they don't know how to cope. I guess for me as well, my degree has come back into use, right? Because because I can write columns for things. I can use that credibility. So the credibility is actually what has kept me doing work. So I may not be on camera you know, in the same capacity. But I do a lot of work for various brands. I do a lot of work online and I still enjoy te- doing all the pet tips. Yeah. So the degree at the end of the day, Sarah, that's actually saved me for the last 10 years when I didn't actually have that TV vehicle.
0: Yeah. And isn't that, again, one of those things, you never know when something's going to come in handy, but it's, it's always like, I I really feel education is always worth something. Even if it lays dormant for a few years, like it will never be a disservice for you to have a fallback like that because you can then pivot in whatever direction you want. And, yeah. you know, I was looking at Wonder Dogs and there's a lot of online tips and courses and training. And yeah. I think people forget a friend of mine got a Goldie puppy recently and they're the cutest things in the whole entire world. But she's like, it's actually really hard when you get a first you first get a new animal because... They bark, they dig, they wreck everything. Like training a new animal is actually kind of hard. It takes a long time to get them to this like model who loves to just chill out like that. (laughs) So, I mean, we met through Snoozer Pets, which is one of the ambassadorships that you do have now. And you've been writing a lot of articles for them about pets and, and COVID and the tips for pets during isolation. I think they have a lot of mental health benefits for us as humans, but I think there'll be a bit of separation anxiety them to experience as we go back to work. Yeah. Why are you excited about this role, and you know, what are the, some of the tips that you can share with us through Snoozer?
1: Yeah, look, Snoozer's been great. I work with a couple of really good brands, and I really try to align myself with brands that have values similar to mine. And I try to align with Aussie brands where I can, and also brands with great values. And the funny thing with Snoozer, we had a great relationship then, and they used to send me beds for Toby. So I have this really fond memory of Toby always having their bouton bed and years and years went by and snoozer got bought out by different people and during the fires i reached out to them i did an online auction for wires wildlife and i reached out to snoozer and said would you possibly donate a bed for us to auction or some products and they were so Amazing and supportive, and just right behind the Aussie spirit. That we did such a great little charity thing then together that it ended up forming a beautiful relationship. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. What the big benefit for Riley is that I have been sent so many beautiful beds mm. that he just basically bed hops around the house. <laughs> so he's <played laughs> like golden retrievers love to sleep. So he just hops from bed to bed. But now that he's older, too, I have him generally. And I don't know how old Paul is, how old's Paul?
0: he's nearly nine.
1: Yeah. So once they hit that senior age, they they do need like an orthopedic bed. So they need the supportive base mm. for the joints. Uh, Riley's really slowing down and he is getting, you can see the signs of arthritis. And so I have him on the, one of their supportive beds. It's important for anyone that's listening to make sure that the beds are away from the drafts, elevated off the ground. And with the older dogs too, some of them can't, he, he kind of varies. There's a, there's a new one called the sofa bed that it, it's kind of doesn't have a um, a little barrier at the front, so he can just step straight into it because he's starting to struggle a little bit to step over the little barriers into bed. So he's a very lucky dog with his home comforts at the moment. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and they even have a, a specific anxiety managing bed. That they've brought out, that they've sent Paul, and he's he's a sensitive little
1: sausage, and I'm like, he needs that. <laughs> that calming cut, it's called the calming cuddler. I have never, I don't think in my whole career, seen a product that has been so popular for pets in my life. And I think there's a couple of things. A, it's a great bed. It's a really great bed, and so it's got really high, snuggly walls, so that dogs, a lot of the like the little dogs, like the dachshunds and the little dogs, they can b- bury into it, and that's why it's called the calming, you know, calming cuddler. Um, but the fabrics are beautiful, so they're high-quality fabrics, and they look really nice in the house. But I think mm. the other thing, every time I've shown someone that bed, everyone says, "I want one of those." My daughter stole it for the first week. You know, so there's yeah, I so there's want a one. Most- <laughs> There's this emotional connection to it where we go, oh, that's something, oh, I'd like to sleep in that. And mm. all the pets just seem to gravitate to it. They're just like, that looks really cosy too and they just curl up and snuggle in. So cute. It's so <laughs> cute. I've never seen, I honestly have never seen anything quite like it.
0: <laughs> it's been amazing to see the pet industry really start to innovate for pet care. You know, it's not just sort of like these, these substandard, members of the family Paul's more important his healthcare is more expensive than mine like it's he's way more important (laughs) but what do you think I think there are a lot of pet owners who are reminding themselves about pet care because they're around their animals so much more but also people who thought it was a really good idea to get a new pet during isolation who might be struggling to sort of train them or integrate them what are sort of your top tips or common misconceptions that you see that you'd like to remind all pet owners of at this time?
1: So for people with pets, the, the biggest thing I say for new pet owners is you need to just teach those puppies. And I say this to, you know, be pre-COVID, they need to be comfortable to be left on their own for periods of time. And because we're home a lot more, and we even though restrictions are easing, we're still around a lot, mm. using either crate training is good or using a puppy playpen and having dedicated time each day to just make your puppy spend some time on their own teaching them to go to lie on a bed is really good that just helps you get some structure around teaching them to go and lie in a certain place but definitely that alone time and it's the same a lot of people adopted dogs which is great older dogs but those dogs have now had people around them too like a lot of a lot of time so those dogs also need to be taught alone time and that's my biggest tip there's also a whole population of puppies. I've never seen so many puppies, people get puppies. Every day during COVID, I would say every day, at least three times a day, I had people texting me, asking if I could help them get a puppy. So there's so many puppies, three or four months on, everyone's worried about separation anxiety, and that's a genuine concern. But we also forget that they're now going to become adolescent dogs and they're going to just start Mm. chewing, digging, barking, doing all of those behaviours that we don't like anyway. And so training is super important as well. Yeah. Oh,
0: excellent tips. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I gave Paul any alone time when he was a puppy, but I, definitely if we get a new one, I'll remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so the next section is called NATA, which is the, you know, the biggest barriers to your joy that you've faced. And I, I think we've covered, you know, quite a lot of them through your career, but are, are there any others that you've struggled with like burnout or self-doubt or I know you you didn't go into practice yourself, but I would love to highlight because I've been quite shocked to find that you think that practicing vets, uh, you know, have the best jobs in the world because they're around animals all the time. But the, the mental health statistics, uh, the low pay, really long hours, it's just something that outside of the industry people don't know about. So I just wanted to mention that as well, because I think it's awareness is really important
1: i think awareness is increasing a little bit there was a great show insight did it ran a show recently on on vets and vets and mental health vets have the highest rate of suicide of professions people don't realize that and i think it's really important to understand that when you go to see your vet they are there to help your animal but they've also seen a lot of people before you they're not trying to rip you off so so people feel that vets are so expensive that it's a rip-off it's actually not what what nobody understands is that we have medicare we get doctors there's rebates in the human medical system there isn't in the veterinary system and the equipment for vets is as expensive as the equipment that doctors need they use the same equipment we want the same equipment these days we want all the tests if something was wrong with paul you want to find out and you want to go to the expert so so their overheads are really high um, vets aren't trying to rip you off and they have a very it's a very stressful job and you are dealing with fat people's family members and I think people just need to be a bit kinder if you speak to vets they will tell you it's nothing it's not managing the animals and the animals health it's the, the problem It's managing the people and so you go into vet school wanting to help animals but you end up as a vet managing a business having to get the balance of getting money from people to run your business while offering care. And it's, it's not an easy job. And I think these days, and this leads me to what I struggle with in this modern world that I'm now in on social media these days people are so abusive mm. these days now if you don't like your vet you can hop the line I had a friend who had the most horrific things written on their Facebook page from a crazy client and they couldn't even get it taken down mm. you know it was like you killed my pet you should not go to this vet this this really horrible angry approach that people take now if they're not happy and you've just got to remember that vets are people as well and just be kind to them. Be nice. Mm. Lots of people are nice, though, to their vets. They do get lots of flowers and chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They do. Well, but, but, but it's, it's hard. And, and that was leading to where I don't know why or how this generation in our world is allowing all of this abusive behaviour towards people online mm. and it's they, they, on one side it's encourage you to speak up and show your voice and then the next thing is oh let's not bully well i'm sorry all of those horrible comments on social media where people are shouting at you with exclamation marks and telling you to it's all bullying.
0: Mm. I think the digital world did for quite a while allow a level of anonymity that made people feel that they could do that without accountability but I am very pleased to see that I think that's becoming less and less easy I think people are being a little bit more held to account for the things that they write being reminded that it is permanent and it should be I think now a lot more things are attached to your name so you don't get to be as anonymous but I, I do always think that they're if you can be anything in any situation, kindness is always the best idea.
1: <laughs> I, and I've been quite lucky that I haven't copped a really hot, you know, a, a lot of it. But over the years, you've copped a few things. And i that's what I don't like about the social media world. And it's become a lot of my work is the social media world. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy it when we're sharing photos of puppies and kittens and celebrating pets and pet ownership. But I don't enjoy that side of it. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy tearing shreds of people. I don't enjoy, making, you know, people making fun of what people are wearing and, well I also think that you know that
0: was that haters and that kind of negative feedback is something that does come up a lot in this section of particularly people who have bigger profiles and one of the biggest things that I've been learning even when it's criticism that is warranted it still kind of sets you off balance and you do get a bit of self doubt and I think the biggest thing has been to just curate your environment you can't live a positive life with a negative environment and I really try and now to just filter out any of the pages or any of the accounts that are going to make me feel like shit. They're the ones that yeah. make me feel like crap. They're the ones that they go. I'm like boundaries are there and you can use them to sort of create a life where you are filtering out the to TA and just focusing on the things that are that make you feel joyful. But it's hard. It is increasingly difficult.
1: And that is really good advice, Sarah, because I do get, I get quite upset and also sometimes I forget this is just one person. Totally. And I had, a, I mean, even with the bushfires, I set up, I spent, I can't tell you how long just setting up an online auction to try and raise some money for Wires Wildlife Rescue because I was just so, it makes me teary to think about it. I was just so devastated watching, as everyone was, watching what was happening. And so a girlfriend who, who I've known for years, another pet person, and I decided to set up, I spent like four or five days getting it because running an auction platform, getting it all set up. And then when I announced on Facebook that we were raising money for Wires, I had the first 20 comments were abusing me because it was a New South Wales charity, not a Victoria. You know, I wasn't I didn't care about animals all around the country.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's and just, I just thought, ridiculous. I was just like,
1: what 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 are you all doing? Oh, this is ridiculous. And it made me I actually burst into tears. I was so tired and I thought, I'm so excited. I've got all these beautiful products and we had houses, we had all and then to cop that at the end of that, I just thought, well. What is it all for? Yeah, Your advice is good. I think that I need to just remove those people strictly <laughs> instead of actually getting caught up in it.
0: But I think that is, it's a reminder that it, it, the receiving end of every single comment you make is a human. And I think we forget that we think that everyone's just a person. They are of course going to take things personally and everyone's just trying to, they're all out there just to do their best. And it's such a shame that there are such buzzkills out there. But, but also I think that's a good reminder that we do have to put up walls because you can't control that some people will just be like that. They just can't allow other people to enjoy their happiness or create their own you know joy so I just I get really strict on the barriers of like I'm not going to let this further in than I should of course you do sometimes but yeah it's takes practice it's an art of building the walls of resilience around you so that that stuff bounces off you because otherwise you know it's yeah you let them you let them in too far yeah
1: I need to take a leaf out of your book on that one because I do <laughs> I let it in and I need I need to let it go, let it out, back out. So
0: that actually leads really nicely to the last section, which is called Play TA. And that's really about when you do need moments of joy and, and the things that you actively do to just, bring in that level of happiness. And I call it, you know, those activities that make you forget what time it is, things that aren't work. You're not trying to win at them. You're not learning or self-developing. You're just doing them for purely your joy. And I think animals make that a lot easier than if you didn't have one, but how do you play? What are the things you do that are just for Katrina? You know, do you watch TV? Do you garden? Like what are the things that you do just for fun?
1: I'd like to say I garden, but my garden might not say that um agree I've only, <laughs> I've only got a little garden but it's um it's fairly low maintenance too and i like to i do like to potter in it but i'm i'm not that great at it um look exercise is always that that's my thing i try to do four or five times a week is either go to the gym or i used to do spin classes in the pre-covid life um, they're just starting back up i need that sweat i'm not I'm not a calm, sit-with-myself person. If I'm going to exercise, I need to be out and really active and sweat. Yeah. Um, definitely getting out in nature is really important to me. So I haven't done a lot of it. So get just getting out, going out for walks, sitting down like I'm living in Bondi, just sitting down and watching the ocean is really good for me. And, of course, yes, Netflix has been very handy during this (laughs) past. What do you watch? um, I always find this so interesting. I just watched, and I felt like a sort of guilty pleasure. I just watched Normal People. Have you watched that? (gasps) I've heard it's on amazing. Oh, my gosh. And it's a young, beautiful love story, and I couldn't stop. I I kept sneaking up from my daughter. (laughs) It is just such beautiful chemistry, and it is just, yeah, the ultimate love story that you just get engrossed into and you want to know what's going to happen and you end up in tears at the end so it was beautiful that was not the last thing I've watched I watch a variety of things I've been trying to watch kind of uplifting with all the news I've been trying to watch things that lift me up don't scare me or <laughs> freak me out <laughs> because I, I often go down the kind of true crime always. series Same. and it's not always great for My sleep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's weird though. I'm so like yay focused and joy and happy and connection and like humanity and then I relax to serial killers. It's so weird.
1: I love a bit of serial killer. We have that in common. I do. People are always really shocked. Why do you watch that? I was obsessed, always obsessed. Right That I was obsessed with Ivan Milat. I was obsessed with everything, uh, serial killer. So I've tried to stop watching <laughs> some of those darker things. <laughs> <laughs> they are a little dark and then you start, you know, you start thinking everyone's, terrible i watched them the madeline mccain doco and then you think everyone's going to your child's going to disappear and everyone's horrible so i did also watch um the michelle obama doco last week that's a great one too i I miss having her around at the moment she's a legend she's an
0: amazing woman (laughs) so second last question just to finish up what are three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation
1: don't know how interesting they are or how interesting I am, but I posted on my Instagram yesterday and it reminded me that everyone never believed me. All my career through Totally Wild and Harry's practice and I pulled up this 90s doozy of a 90s photo, I actually have a natural, massive natural white streak in my hair and everyone thought for years, everyone right through school, everything, everyone just thought I dyed it my whole entire life. So, But this whole patch here, has no pigment, so it was a big white stripe. And I was always called Skunk or Matisha or all these <laughs> names, <laughs> the witch, <laughs> right through school. But when I did TV, and it just made me laugh when I put this pick up yesterday because they gave me this 90s up, and it was all swirled up. And there's all these comments in there about you know, nice streaks and stuff, but that's natural. And I ended up dying it probably 12 or 15 years ago because I just got so sick of people thinking I was dying it my whole life oh my gosh it was so bizarre. that's yeah. such an interesting one it's so strange so I just got sick and then people started saying oh my gosh you're going gray on one side and because <laughs> it was super super white um and I didn't dye it for a long time because I had a bad experience in Japan where they put color in it and oh. it went orange oh yeah but it's actually so it's colored fine so that that'd be one another I don't know, again, I don't know if these are interesting. They're so interesting. (laughs) I have this weird ability and I've met one other person who has the same thing. You can plonk me in a field anywhere in the world that has clover and I find dozens of four-leaf clovers, wherever, anywhere. Wow. Yeah, so right back to school. I used to, you know, walk through the school farm and then every day I'd be four-leaf clovers and then I'd go somewhere else. and I. So maybe that's my luck. Maybe that's why you're my lucky streak. It's even
0: cooler that you actually know that. Like you must have been in fields enough times to actually have realized that it's a thing.
1: (laughs) It's a thing. It's a really weird thing. And I've met so many people who said they've never, ever found a four-leaf clover. Yeah. Have you found a four-leaf clover? I think I've probably found one. I've definitely found like
0: one. Or two, but I wouldn't say I've got like a magical field power.
1: No, (laughs) it's really strange. It's amazing. And they just pop out. I don't know, there must be something where I can just see the difference. And I've got another girlfriend who has the same, I wouldn't call it a gift, skill. And then... Oh, look, I was actually, my third thing, I would have thought the fact that I did sheep husbandry and wool technology for my HSC, but I've already spat that out for you. <laughs> um, I don't know what else is interesting. Maybe I love fancy dress. Oh, that's a good one. I've got about uh, fancy dress parties. My friends and I love a fancy dress and I would have, I think, about 10 tubs of fancy dress outfits in my garage. Oh, that's amazing. Which is kind of, I don't know if that's weird or not, but and I've got like a whole tub of scary masks which does freak people out but that's just from fancy dress Halloween. yeah see they're so interesting i feel like it never sounds interesting to you
0: because you know them but to other people i think people forget that people they know from like they they think of you as like harry's practice so anything they didn't see about you on that show they're like well she wouldn't go to parties because like they don't do parties in harry's (laughs) practice
1: but like it's so cool i love a fancy dress because then people you can put, put a mask on or do something and and you just you take on the persona. That's why fun fans are In fact, for my 50th, I did Studio 54 theme. Um, How are you really 50? Fun. I
0: don't even understand. Like, I've... oh, my God, you have the best skin ever.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. But I can't believe I'm 50 either. I actually can't believe I'm as old as I am, but... The mirror does tell me, and I just have you have to embrace it because the alternative is no good. I also think you're as old as you feel. Like, age
0: is an energy. It's either bring a youthful 50 or you bring a a weathered, old, tired 50. Like, you can choose. I think it's we let age define us a lot more than we should in society. It should be how you feel.
1: Well, I feel like I'm still in my 20s. So, there you go. That's how I behave a little too often. Well, thank
0: you so much for joining. Oh, I forgot our very last question since I love quotes so much is what's your favourite quote?
1: The quote that I love is I love it the most only because it was the one that my grandmother used to use and used to say to me all the time and that's why I love it but it was that never judge another till you've walked a mile in their shoes. And she used to say that to me as a little girl and I've carried that through. And I think it's really important now. I just think in this, in this world, that whole thing about never judging. And when I listened to your podcast podcast, Harlan Coben that author yeah I loved his quotes I loved his two quotes actually and I wrote them down here you bring your own weather to the picnic
0: absolutely I love
1: that and I love and everyone has their own hopes and dreams that's a beautiful one too so I'm giving you three quotes two of them are stolen Share, I'm
0: sure oh absolutely and I'll add one more to that that I was just thinking of as we were talking about age before is it never regret getting older for it is a privilege denied to many I think that's another one that makes me like, that is never a great getting older
1: yeah. That's a beautiful one. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so
0: much. It's been an absolute privilege. My husband is so jealous that I got to chat to you right now <laughs> today. And it's been lovely to meet you. Paul has loved meeting Riley. Thank you so much for everything. And it's, yeah, been wonderful to chat.
1: Thank you. Keep up your amazing work.
0: Well, if any of you got new pets during ISO, I hope those tips helped you. And please send me photos. I love animals so much. As always, please screenshot and share so we know who's listening and what you thought. Photos of Paul and Riley chatting away to come on socials too. Hope you're having a wonderful week and a seizing your yay. Yay.